Now, do you think there's any reason why they tied you up and didn't tie your parents up? Does that seem odd to you? Why does it seem odd? I was away from both your separated from the time. And does it make sense that they would leave a witness behind? Okay. Just thinking about it. Would it make sense for somebody that going to kill somebody to leave a witness behind that could describe them. Does that make common sense for killers? I don't know the captain that they're running out of time. It doesn't take know. a long time to kill someone. I know. I, I don't know. No. So my job in any case and anybody that's a witness in this case, I have to speak to. Okay, after they've been interviewed originally by anybody else. So how do I make my conclusion? Okay. So some of the ways is obviously I count on my experience, right? I talk to thousands of people. Okay. And I basically know when somebody's not being straightforward with me. Okay. I can tell by the language they use, how they answer the question, their body language, how they treat the question, that something's wrong here. Okay, this doesn't make sense. In 2010, in Canada, the Pan family home was raided by criminals who robbed the house and shot virtually every resident. One of the survivors, Jennifer Pan, was a 24-year-old girl. Investigating, police could not understand how such a barbaric and cruel crime could leave one survivor unharmed. Answers began to appear following several days of interrogation, causing the sole witness to the crime to become the prime suspect. Today, you will learn the story of Jennifer Pan, a girl who was accused of having planned the death of her own parents. Hello guys, how are you today? Welcome back to Mystery Archive. If you are new to this channel, don't forget to follow us on the streaming platform you are listening to now. This way, you will receive a notification every time a new episode comes out. Follow us on social media as well to learn a little bit more about me, about the channel, and also to be alert when I release a new episode. You can find us on Instagram at mystery underscore archive. Now, let's have a look at today's case. Jennifer Pan was born on June 17, 1986, in Toronto, Canada. She was the daughter of Big Hapan and Huey Han Pan, Vietnamese immigrants. The couple also had a younger son named Felix Pan. Jennifer's father was born and raised in Vietnam, and in 1979, he moved to Canada as a political refugee. Her mom also arrived in Canada as a refugee years later. The two met and married in Toronto and later lived in Scarborough, working at the same company, Magna International, an automobile manufacturer. The couple worked hard to ensure that their children had both an education and opportunity. 
they saved a lot of money, and in 2004, they were financially stable. They bought a large house in a good neighborhood in Markham, a city with a large concentration of Asian immigrants. They accumulated about 200,000 Canadian dollars. In Canada, they had extremely high expectations for their children and set goal after goal. Jennifer and Felix were coached to be prodigies. Felix studied mechanical engineering because his father wanted him to design cars and not to work on the assembly line. Jennifer started taking piano lessons and figured skating at the age of four. She trained every day of the week. She had hopes of becoming an Olympic figure skating champion, but a broken knee curtailed her ambition. As a result, she had more time to devote to the piano. According to a classmate, Jennifer's parents were demanding and controlling. They picked her up from school every day and closely monitored her extracurricular activities. She was also banned from dating and partying because they believed that this would distract her from her academic commitments. Despite her parents' high expectations, Jennifer had average grades in all subjects apart from music, which one she was exemplary. She knew this was unacceptable to them, so she forged her report cards. In her last year of high school, she failed calculus. Because of this, she didn't get a scholarship for the university she wanted, and from here, things took an unusual path. She lied to her parents that she had been accepted to a pharmacology course. As the months went by, she pretended she was attending university. She spent her time in cyber cafes, gave private lessons as a piano teacher, and even worked in a restaurant as a waitress to raise money. To keep up the charade at home, she bought second-hand books and self-study pharmacology. Consequently, her notebooks were filled with notes. Occasionally, she even brought fake report cards to continue showing them her academic performance. Her parents grew more and more proud. Jennifer took advantage of the situation and requested permission to sleep over some nights at her friend Topaz's house. Topaz lived close to the university and Jennifer maintained this would give her more time to study and rest. Jennifer's parents already knew Topaz and they agreed, but Jennifer wasn't going to sleep near campus, much less in her friend's house. She was moving in with her boyfriend, Daniel Wong. The two had been in a hidden relationship since high school. Daniel is of Chinese and Filipino descent and used to work in a pizzeria. He met Jennifer at school and they started dating. Due to his low grades, he was transferred to another school. Her parents never approved of the relationship, mailing due to the xenophobic fact of his having mixed descent. But, unlike Jennifer, he graduated from high school 
and entered the University of York. Jennifer pretended that she was volunteering at the hospital for sick children, but her parents became suspicious as Jennifer did not have any badge or uniform that could identify her as a volunteer at the hospital. Someday, her mother, Bic, called Topaz to talk to her daughter and the girl, carelessly, didn't hide the situation very well and ended up telling her that Jennifer wasn't living there. It was then that Bic decided to follow Jennifer and soon found out everything. Jennifer was leaving the house not to go to the hospital, but to go to Daniel's house. Her father wanted to kick her out of the house, but her mother convinced him otherwise. They confront her when she arrived home, forced her to end the relationship with Daniel, and in the middle of this argument, Jennifer, enraged with everything, spoke the truth. She admitted that she had never been at the university even because she had never finished high school. She was working in a cafeteria and giving piano lessons. The news fell like a bomb for the family. The days passed, her parents sent her back to school to finish high school and thus be able to enter the university. They authorized her to continue giving piano lessons, but she was forbidden to see Daniel or go anywhere without them. Jennifer had to obey orders, but she and Daniel kept in touch secretly. In 2010, when Jennifer was 24 years old, Daniel had grown tired of trying to maintain their relationship. It was increasingly difficult to see her and he started dating another girl. Jennifer was devastated. To get her ex-boyfriend's attention, she started making up stories. She told him a man had come to her house, showed a police badge and asked her questions to which she didn't know the answers. She also said several men broke into her house and physically abused her. She said his ex-girlfriend sent her a letter with a revolver bullet inside. Daniel knew that these were lies. Tired, he went to her to talk in person to sort things out. However, in that conversation, she shared an idea she had for them to be together permanently. She told her macabre plan to get rid of her parents, to end their lives. As unbelievable as it seems, Daniel agreed. The reason that made him support the plan was the inheritance which she and her brother would receive something around half million dollars at that time. They decided to hire a hitman and reached out to Lanford Roy Crawford. Lanford was a Jamaican immigrant who already had an extensive criminal record and didn't hesitate. He said that he would need help. He contacted two more men, David Milvaganam 
and Eric Shaw Carty. The plan was to murder Jennifer's parents, but make it look like it was all a robbery gone wrong. For this plan, they agreed to pay $10,000. On the night of November 8, 2010, Jennifer unlocked her front door and signaled the man outside by flashing her bedroom lights a few times. A few minutes later, Lanford, David and Eric entered the house through the front door all armed. They took the girl's parents and bundled them into the basement. They also tied Jennifer up and locked her in her room as part of the plan. Her younger brother, Felix, was not at home. After demanding all the money in the house and ransacking the couple's room, the three men shoot the couple several times. They then fled the scene with the money and various stolen objects. Jennifer, still tied up, managed to call 911 using her cell phone. When the emergency arrived, they realized that Beak was lifeless and took Huey directly to the nearest hospital, then he was transferred by plan to a more equipped hospital due to the severity of his injuries. He slept into a coma. The day after the crime, Jennifer gave a statement and the authorities began to suspect her. The fact that the killers had left Jennifer unharmed had already raised some eyebrows. Why would everyone leave an eyewitness behind? The cops weren't convinced by her story and started keeping an eye on her. Jennifer went to her mother's funeral with her brother as if nothing had happened. At the same time, she did not shed a tear and her sadness did not seem genuine. Her father was still in a coma. However, he woke up days later and the police were able to talk to him in the hospital. His version of the story did not match Jennifer's. Two weeks after the crime, on November 22nd, she gave a third statement and things started to become much clearer for the police. The detective, suspicious of Jennifer's words, began to use a different strategy. Now, do you think there's any reason why they tied you up and didn't tie your parents up? I don't know. Does that seem odd to you? Why does it seem odd? I was away from both your separated from the crime. And does it make sense that they would leave a witness behind? 
that they were going to kill somebody. Does that make sense? Okay. Just thinking about it. Would it make sense for somebody that was going to kill somebody to leave a witness behind that could describe them? Does that make common sense for killers? What do you think? Mm -hmm. You think that was a mistake they made then? I don't know. They kept saying that they were running out of time. That would take a long time to kill someone. I know. I, I don't know. No. So my job in any case, and anybody that's a witness in this case, I have to speak to. Okay, after they've been interviewed originally by anybody else. Okay, and so what it's about is truth verification. Okay, so basically all my studies come into interviewing and uh, detecting deception, uh, determine if somebody's telling the police the truth. Okay. So when we're talking about truth, we're not just talking about a person saying something uh, that's not true, right? That's one way of not telling the truth, simply by making something up, right? Do you agree? Okay. But also withholding information is not telling the truth, okay? It's purposeful deception, really, right? Okay. They're leaving stuff out that may assist the investigation, okay? that may lead uh, to the people that are responsible for being caught, right? Um, and that's where uh, we talked earlier about, um, so some people obstruct the investigation, okay? Because they, they provide facts that are totally not true, okay? Other things they tell about the case obviously did happen. So what we talk about is a combination of people telling things that are totally not true, leaving information out, would be two ways that people uh, haven't been truthful. Okay, so how do I make my conclusions? Okay, so some of the ways is obviously I count on my experience, right? I talk to thousands of people, okay? And I basically know when somebody's not being straightforward with me, okay? I can tell by the language they use, how they answer the question, their body language, how they treat the question that something's wrong here. Okay, this doesn't make sense. Okay. The other thing we do is we have to reach out to what we call modern technology. Okay. So there's some of the things that we utilize in satellite. Okay. Now are you do you know what satellite can do? Okay, do you watch any of these uh when uh these war programs on TV where they do bombings and stuff? Have you ever seen any of that or when uh the Iraq war was on. You ever see any of the news clips where you can see the satellite honing in on buildings? Okay, so we can go back and obtain satellite information. Okay, and essentially the satellite's a 24-hour video that's going on, uh, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, right? It's recording information. Okay, and that's how the military uses it in, you know, for precision bombing and everything else, because they're able to find out where bombs are inside buildings and hone in on that through satellites and heat seeking uh, uh, apparatuses that tell you what's going on inside, right? Okay, so we're able to go back uh, and review that, okay? And so we would have to obtain uh, that data for a specific address, uh, get it for the dates and time that we're concerned with, Okay, and basically, if people are moving around in a house, 
um, it's like an x-ray, okay? And basically we're able to tell, you know, are those movements, are those actions, that number of people consistent with the story that we've been told? Um, are the people in the positions that the witnesses are telling us they were in? Uh, or are they different? Okay, and if they're different, why are they different? But what our question becomes, right? So that's, a, that's another uh, thing that we do. And so at the end of the day, okay, there's so many resources available to me um, that at the end of the day, I'm going to know if a person's telling me the truth or not. In Canada, police are legally allowed to lie to those they are questioning about evidence from investigations. As far-fetched as this strategy may seem, Jennifer fell for their ruse. She let her guard down and let go of the truth little by little. They got a real confession from Jennifer. All details of the crime that matched with the crime scene and reached the information from her father. She was arrested. In April and May 2011, everyone else directly and indirectly involved was arrested, including her boyfriend Daniel. They all went to trial in March 2014 and only Eric pleaded guilty to the charts. All the others claimed innocence. The trial lasted nine months and on December 13th, Jennifer, Daniel, Lanford and David were sentenced to life in prison without parole for 25 years. Eric, for pleading guilty, was sentenced to 18 years in prison. Jennifer's father and brother filed a lawsuit to prohibit her from contacting the family. Despite objections, the judge complied with the order. In the Canadian media, questions were raised regarding the high expectations and demands that certain parents have for the children. This type of upbringing can cause psychological damage to the child who fails to achieve the goals determined by their parents. Could this be the only reason why Jennifer act like this? We don't know. But this topic is a matter of important debate. Well, guys, that was today's case. Share this episode with your friends and help our channel grow. To see the photos of this case, just follow us on Instagram at mystery underscore archive or on our YouTube channel. I see you in the next case. Hey, você se interessa por crimes reais, serial killers, coisas macabras e tem um senso de humor um tanto quanto sórdido? Se sim, você não está sozinho. Se você precisa de um lugar recheado de pessoas como você... Venha conhecer o podcast Pátria Amada Criminal. Todas as semanas tentamos entender o pior da humanidade. Nesse processo a gente ri, chora, fica brava, fofoca, porque afinal de contas é assim que a gente fala quando está entre amigos. Suas novas melhores amigas trevosas estão aqui no Pátria Amada Criminal.